Hi, this is Phil, and welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. Glad that you're joining us today. This past Sunday, we talked about restoring relationship. Jesus said that this is eternal life, that you would know Him. And that's why He came. He came to die on the cross to restore relationship, not just so that we could um, be forgiven of sins and have eternal life, live in heaven someday. But the Father wants to know His kids. He wants His family back. And this is going to be a great podcast. Uh, As you listen, I encourage you to take notes and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Put your hands on your heart with me. Say this after me out loud. Father God, I am asking you this morning for ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for me. Just wreck me, God. Mess with my theology. Form it to yours. If you agree, say amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You're the one that said that. I did and formed my theology. Amen. Would you turn over in your Bible to a very familiar scripture? This is a scripture, probably the most famous scripture in the Bible. Can you guess what it is? John chapter 3, verse 16. Why don't you turn over there? If you have your Bible, if you have your iPad, your pen, your who knows what all you can look up scripture with now. It keeps getting more and more. John 3, 16. And I want us to read this together. You guys ready? I'm, tell, I'm excited this morning. So get your excitement up there with me. John 3, verse 16. I'm reading to, out, of, uh, out of the New King James. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Man, the first eight words have always ministered to me that God loved the world so much that he gave. Giving is the very essence of love. When we love someone, giving can only go in one direction, away from self. But when we're self-centered, when we're focused on us, love comes, we think it's love, but it comes this direction. We try to manipulate things to get it to come this direction. But I don't want to hang out very long there. I want to go on to where he says he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. Think about this. When you go back to Adam, Adam, when he sinned in the garden, because God said you can eat of any tree in the garden. And so what does the enemy come and he do? He points out the one tree that Adam's not supposed to eat from. It was a command. Don't eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? You can have of any other tree. And this is, isn't this what the enemy does in our lives? He comes and points out the one thing that you're not supposed to have instead of all the wonderful things that you can have the goodness that God has given us, right? And so he points that out to Adam. Adam sins, Adam eats. I'm not trying to leave Eve out, but there's a purpose to what I'm saying here. So when Adam sinned, when he ate of that apple, then there became a wall, there came a wall of separation. I think the curtain that was in the temple is a great representation of this. There was something that separated man from God. He said, the day you will eat of it, you'll die. Adam didn't die physically until hundreds of years later, 
right? But he died spiritually. His spirit man died. The enemy robbed him of his identity, of the image that God had put on the inside of him. And it took the enemy 900 plus years to kill him after that physically. What does John 10.10 say? John 10.10 says the thief comes for only three reasons, to steal, kill, and destroy. These are the three reasons that the enemy comes. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So he came to give us abundant life, right? And so the enemy comes, and so anything that is associated with stealing, killing, and destroying, it didn't come from God. All right, um, let me put it this way. So let's say my dad, my dad died of, he had, a, he had a blood clot on the brain. And he passed away in 2013, September 11th. Never forget that day. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, my dad won because he only died once. It's the people that died twice that God says, hey, be sober about this. Be mindful about this. You don't want to die twice. You just want to transition once into my presence, right? Why? Because for the Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I can tell you with a surety that God didn't take my dad. He didn't take him. Think about the people that God took in the Bible. Let's, let's name him here. Enoch. God took Enoch. Enoch fellowshiped with God. He walked with God. He fellowshiped. He he loved, God loved him so much, he just said, I can't stand to leave Enoch on the earth anymore. <laughs> and he took him. He wasn't sick. He didn't die from a disease. God took him, right? Think about another man. Who's another man you can think of? Elijah, right? God told, God, he spoke to Elisha and he said, hey, if you're around and you see me go, then you know, you'll, you'll receive that double anointing on your life, right? And so Elijah, it says, and think about Elisha trying to describe what he saw. He said, it was like a chariot of fire. I think today we would, we would I would describe it like an F-16. A fire coming out of the back. Come on, man. And Elijah was gone, right? Elijah wasn't sick. Didn't have a disease. God took him. And what happens is sometimes when people die in our effort and in our humanity to try and describe what's going on, we create theology. We develop theology. I see it happen all the time. But see, God doesn't take people, but he receives them. It's like the enemy doesn't get any credit for this, but God gets all the blame. The enemy doesn't get the, does, doesn't get the blame for stealing, killing, and destroying. But you know, they needed another angel in the choir, and so God took him. Well, I, read your Bible. You do not become an angel. You don't sing in the angelic choir. You sing in the redeemed choir, the redeemed of the Lord, and we say so, and we get to sing songs that angels cannot sing. Think about that. Okay. 
All right, so since Adam in the garden, here's what God wanted to do. God wanted to do one thing. When Adam sinned, this was God's one purpose. He, he wanted to restore fellowship. He wanted his family back, right? He wanted us back. It wasn't just about, I'm going to send Jesus, and I want to make sure everybody comes to heaven. No, he wanted his family back, so he sent Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus came, and he did exactly what God told him to do. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He went to hell. He took back the keys from Satan to death, hell, and the grave. He rose again, and he ascended on high. He poured the blood out on the mercy seat. And because of that very act, we get to come to the altar and pray a prayer and we get eternal life, get to go to heaven. No, that's not the only thing. We've reduced salvation to this, praying a prayer at the altar, getting forgiveness of sins and just going to heaven. That, that's, that's a gospel that's kind of this way focused, isn't it? It's about me. About me getting my sins forgetting and forgiven and me getting to go to heaven. But what God, see, nobody told me this. A week ago um, on Saturday morning, I was blessed because Scott back here, Scott and Monica Michelle, invited Nicole and I to go and see Dan Moeller. He was at our friend's church. I had no idea that he was even going to be there. And he was at our friend's church up in Pea Ridge. And so we went, and man, and Friday night just wrecked me. I just got totally messed up. And I was just, you know, I told Dan because he came back to say hi to you guys and I got to meet him. And, and when I met him for the first time, I said, I said, listen, man, I can only take you in doses because you say so many profound things. I just, I feel bad that I can't write them all the down, all down so much. And so I was really interested to be, see what this was going to be like live because he talks so fast. And I was trying to write stuff down. And you know what I did? I went back and I, and I, and I basically, what do you call it when you, tra I transcribed almost his entire message. It was 12 pages long. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I was so, but, but that next morning, um, the pastor called me and he said, hey, Phil, I'm having just a small intimate get together with Dan and just a few local pastors. He said, could you come? And I said, I would love to come. Thank you for inviting me. And so I came and I was, I was listening as he's talking. And, and so he and I got to talk a little bit. And so I asked him questions. And he said, Phil, nobody ever told me that salvation was any more than just salvation, than just my sins being forgiven and getting to have eternal life, go to heaven when I die. He said, nobody, nobody told me that God wanted to give me back my sonship, that I, that I was going to be adopted into the family of God and that I would become a son and that I would be able to take on his image and his identity and throw off the false identity that the enemy gave Adam. Because you were born into that identity. The identity that you and I were born into is a false identity. Why? Because of Adam's sin. It all traces back to Adam's sin. And so you were born into this false identity, this identity that you'll never be good enough, you'll never be able to pay a price, you'll all, uh, the price that is necessary to be paid to earn any kind of salvation. This, this lie that tells us 
that we're a nobody. When we're a lot more than somebody. We're a royal priesthood. A chosen people. Oh, man. Man, I'll never forget it when Nicole told me this. I didn't know it. But the first time you saw me, I was playing drums. And, uh, and she told me, she thought, well, who is that? And I thought, man, my shoulders back, went back, you know, chest came out. I went, glory to God, I've been chosen. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Lord. Help me, help me say this. We've been born again to, unto him, born into the family. And see, God wanted us back. He wanted his family back. And you think about it, I can compare it to David and Ziklag. Remember David and Ziklag? Remember when he came back and he, he was with the Philistines? He wanted to go to war and, and fight with the Philistines. I would have loved to see how that would have worked out. But he said, well, we're going to fight with you guys. They said, no, you can't fight with us. You guys go home. Took his 600 men. They come back home. They get to Ziklag. And when they arrive in Ziklag, it's, the entire thing is burned. All of the family is gone. Now, that's not like today because back then, everybody lived together. Aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, all the generations were together. So it's not just the wives and the children that are gone. This is the entire family. They've all been taken captive, and there they are. They're gone, and these guys are in this mindset of we're going to stone David. And what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He asked the Lord, what should I do? He said, and I loved how David asked. He said, should I go after them, and will I recover them? Man, that's good. Two good questions. Should I? Because sometimes I think we just ask, should I go after it? Should I, should I go and do this? Not will I recoup? Will I succeed? And, and so we asked these questions. God said, yes, go after him. You're going to get it all back. This is what God's desire was when Jesus died on the cross was, I want my family back. I want my family back. He lost them in the garden. Man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So here's what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to keep us out of relationship with him because the enemy realizes I, we can't beat God, but we can probably deceive the humans. We've been doing it for 6,000 years. We deceived Eve in the garden. We deceived Adam. Well, Eve was deceived. Adam went along. With, anyway, I don't want to get into, sorry. I don't want to start something. But <laughs> he did it knowingly. She was deceived. I mean, it's bad. But anyway, <laughs> where in the world was I at? So, where was I? Yeah. Okay. Oh, say, so here's what the enemy wants to do, is he wants to keep us out of relationship. He's thinking, we deceived Eve. We can deceive them. We can do things to keep you out of, rela- out of relationship with God. We can keep you busy with other things and distract you, right? We can, we can, uh, we can give you, what else can we do? We can uh, keep you condemned, feeling like you're the prodigal son. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. Mm, Man, what about he can keep us bound to addiction, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, keep us addicted there. Or he can wrap us in these false identities. Whatever it takes. Because he knows, here's what the enemy knows. He knows if you come into true relationship with God, 
true fellowship with him, then he knows that you'll realize what your identity is and that you're the in, made, created in the image of God and then he knows he's done. So many of us have not come into the true identity that the enemy is saying, wait a minute, Jesus I know, Paul I know, and Phil I know, and Nicole I know, and Caleb I know, and Susanna I know, and the Moshells, I know all them. Uh-huh. And the rest of you. I don't want to leave anybody out. That was just an example, okay? Don't make me call everybody's names. Okay, so... <laughs> So why is the enemy afraid of this? Because relationship builds trust and trust is the foundation of our faith and faith works by love. So relationship builds trust. I've heard people say that relationship is built on trust. I wanna propose to you something different, okay? Because in my relationship with my spouse, and I'm so glad the Holy Spirit helped us understand this, that if we made God the center and the focus of our relationship, what would happen is that our relationship as we grew closer to him would grow closer together. Man, and it's been amazing to watch, but I think what happens is some people try to make trust their foundation, and then when trust is broken, that foundation is removed, and what it does is it makes it too easy to just throw in the towel call it quits, to stop. But see, when you make God the center, when the legs of trust are kicked out from under it, if something happens, then his grace can empower you to work it out, to bring restoration and bring healing, health, wholeness to your relationship. You say, Phil, I I don't know that I've seen that work. Well, let me give you an example. My wife and I, when we were at Victory in Tulsa, and that was our home church, and there was a time that Pastor Billy Joe came over to me and he said, hey, Phil, he said, come here. And so I walked over to him. I said, yes, sir, what can I do? And he said, well, he said, do you see this couple over here? And they were a younger couple. And he said, I want you and Nicole to just wrap your arms around them. And I want you guys to mentor them. And well, you know, when Pastor Billy Joe asked you to do something, you know, you did it. And I said, yes, sir, we would love to do that. And so we started inviting them over and getting together with them on a regular basis. And then I found out their story. See, they got married, but they didn't get married um, in the right way. It wasn't a, a God thing when they got married. But, <clears throat> and so the wife wanted to get out of it. And so what she did was she went out and she had some affairs with other men. And she made sure that he found out about it and even went over the top and did it multiple times. And it wasn't because she was being moved by the lust of the flesh. It was because she wanted to get rid of this guy. And so he didn't know what to do. So he went to Pastor Billy Joe and said, sir, can you help me? Tell me what I should do. And Pastor Billy Joe said, okay, so according to the Bible, you do have the right to divorce. I mean, the Bible does say that this is the only reason that we can divorce. And he said, so you're under that. He said, or you could ask God to help you forgive her and he could restore the relationship. Well, that stunned this guy. And he was telling me this story with tears in his eyes. He said, that stunned me. And I began to think, can I do that? 
because he was really hurt. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to forgive her. Do you know that God healed that relationship because what that couple did was they put God in the center of their relationship and it healed their relationship and restored them. Wow. All right, that was free. Okay, so I'm gonna move on back to my message here. So, <clears throat> so guys, let me tell you, God, there's nothing so broken that God can't fix it. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, if that's what you wanna see happen, he can fix it, amen? That's a good word. This is good preaching, Pastor Phil. So, so a relationship should be built on him. And what happens is trust is a result of it. You know, it's what's produced through relationship. So let me give you a scenario. I found out um, George Barna does, you know, statistics. And, you know, he was talking about how, um, how 20% of Christians read their Bible every day. Uh, I, found that, I heard the statistic. I went, wow, man, that's low. Um, so I had this thought. What if I wanted to develop a relationship with Nicole? Let's say that, that today, actually next week, we've been married 29 years, next Sunday. Woo! Come on, baby. Yeah. And so I'm excited about that. But let's say that, it, that she just saw me on the drums this morning and said, who's that hottie, right? Okay. Because you know that's what she'd say. And um, so, I'm sorry, I'm messing, I'm joking. That just sounds odd coming out of my mouth, you know? But anyway, so, so, so let's just say, though, this is the first time that she saw me. I want to get to know Nicole. Now, many of you know that we wrote letters. That was how we got to know each other. She, I was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was in Phoenix, Arizona. We're a thousand miles apart. We dated through the mail. Okay, that, that is a very patient way to date, let me tell you. And so, but let's say that we're closer proximity. Let's say that we both live in Northwest Arkansas, okay? So, and I decide I'm going to talk to Nicole three and a half minutes each day. But here's the thing, only I get to talk. And so when I call her and I talk to her, hey, it's great to hear your voice. I just wanna talk to you a little bit and tell you uh, how much I appreciate you and I'm thankful for you. By the way, uh, could you run to the store for me and pick up this? And, and could you go and get me one of these? And I decided what I wanted for my birthday. I want one of these. And the three and a half minutes go by, and it's all about me and what I want, what I need. Three and a half minutes go by. Okay. So then I, 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 go, I, I say, okay, well, that's not enough. I still want to get to know Nicole. So what I'm going to do is she sent me a letter I have lots of letters from Nicole. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the letter and I'm just gonna focus on this paragraph. And I'm gonna read this paragraph today. Well then let's say I take it even a step further. Now I begin to dissect certain words in the paragraph and try to bring out the, the deeper meaning of the par paragraph because I'm a little bored with the paragraph. How much am I gonna know Nicole? Let's be honest. I know nothing about her. Why? I haven't asked her a single question. And I've only read portions of the letters that she's given me. But yes, sometimes we do the same thing to God. 
I asked Dan, I had a moment um, at the end, Dan Moeller, when on that Saturday, at the end where he was alone in the corner. And of course, you know, you just want to go attack him, you know, and just ask him all these questions. And, and, uh, but I got over to him, and I just started to cry. Tears started coming down my cheeks. And I said, Dan, would, would you pray for me that God, that I, that I would know God more? Because, you know, when you see it in other people's lives and you see this deeper relationship, this relationship that you want to have, and, and you kind of, you're looking for a way to get there. And Dan just looked at me and he goes, I don't need to pray for you. He said, how much do you read your Bible? So I told him. He said, how often do you pray? So I told him. And he said, Phil, just keep doing that. He said, you're growing. You're growing in God. He said, you want to go deeper, then spend more time with him. And so I did. I got to tell you, I came back pretty convicted because, you know, you think you have a pretty decent prayer life. You think you're pretty good at fasting or following God. And then you meet somebody like Dan and you just think, dear God, I'm just a pathetic kid, you know, and, and I'm just going, man, I got to do better. And so, so, so I'm like, I'm listening to messages back to back to back. And then, you know, our family gets together and they say, hey, Thursday night, we're going to watch a movie together. Okay, great. It's a family movie. And, and so we come together and we're watching this movie and, and suddenly things are starting to bother me in the movie. Why? Because I'm cleaning up. I'm becoming more like him. And so what doesn't please him is now like nails on the chalkboard to me. Some people, you know, they talk about, hey, how, do I, how do I get free from this addiction, from this bondage, whatever it is? <sighs> Let me tell you, start spending more time with God. Turn, turn off the television. Amen. I talked to this one lady, um, and she was, um, and I was trying to encourage her in, in, our, in our, the nation of our status because she was real depressed. She was listening to the news, and, and, and she just, you know, she was real depressed when I was talking to her. And I said, well, look at some of these good things that are going on. And I began to talk about some of the things that were happening at the state level and some of the bills that were getting, or some of the resolutions that were just passed and some of the good things that are happening that there's some positive things going on in our nation. And then it came out and she said, well, you know, I just, I, I, I do pretty good until I watch the news every morning. And I thought, well, you know, you have a magic wand in your hand and it's called the television remote. Man, turn it off. Okay. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So I wouldn't know Nicole. The more I know her, the more trust is built. And trust is the very foundation that faith sits on. Because now, 20, 29 years, Nicole fully trusts me. How do you know that, Phil? Because I've purchased vehicles that she hasn't even ever seen and come home with it. Here's your new vehicle, honey. And she just looks at me and goes, okay. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> well, she did the same thing. She bought a house I'd never even seen. Well, what's it like, honey? What's it like? Why? I fully trust her. 
So is your relationship with God to the point that you fully trust him? Or have we allowed our human experience to Lord, be Lord over our faith? Let me tell you, I, we prayed for our mom. We fought the good fight of faith, which by the way, that's the fight that we're supposed to fight. It's the one the Bible says to fight is the good fight of faith. So the good fight of faith is holding on to what you believe, what you trust that God is going to do. And when we fought that fight with my mom, we saw God do an amazing work in her life. Let me tell you, okay, so, so fast forward. <clears throat> my, the pastor, Billy Joe, that I had, you know, served under from all of my life, mostly from seventh grade on and worked on staff under, he passed away from cancer. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. My father, we prayed for him. He passed away from, you know, the, the blood clot on the brain. So I'm not ready to create a brand new theology. I'm not going to rewrite a book that is already written. That does not suddenly make everything that God said a lie. How do I know that? Because God, it is impossible for him to lie. So I'm thinking there's something on this end that I don't see. Because it's too convenient to blame the creator of the universe, which that's very dangerous. Why? Because you're in danger of believing a brand new theology and creating a new doctrine, and you don't even realize it because it's deceptive. Come on, God only took people healthy. He didn't take them sick. Even, even, even Moses, when he was about to die, he said, Moses, hey, with your perfect eyesight and with those big guns you got, I want you to climb the mountain because you're going to die. He scaled a mountain and then went home. And it says that God buried him. So we know that God didn't take. I'm speaking to somebody this morning. Wow. If relationship is not developed, how do you know that you can trust someone? If we're not taking the time to develop our relationship with God, how do we know that we can trust what he said in his word? Your, your faith is going to be on shaky soil. Amen. So we have made, we have made the gospel though about us, about the forgiveness of sins, about eternal salvation. I've said that, but I was never told that and I don't believe that you were either. I was never told that God wanted to bring me into his family, that he cared so much about my identity, so much about the image that was on the inside of me that he died so that I could live free. Because I see a lot of Christians walking around bound in bondage, bondage to fear, bondage to, uh, to anger, resentment, bitterness, offense, and God has not called us to live that way. That's not living free. That's living bound. Let me read a scripture to you out of John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3, it says this. And this is eternal life. Okay. This is eternal life. That we may know him. That's eternal life. Going to heaven is a part of the package. But that's a very low level of what God, Jesus died, paid a price for you to become. All right. So 
<clears throat> Nicole made that statement. That was a word that God gave me because sometimes I think, have we made it about church attendance or have we made it about knowing him? Have we made it about, you know, marking this off our list? Well, I went to church. I did my duty. You know, I, I've met husbands and wives um, and, and it, would, it, would, it was like my grandparents' generation. And they, they would stay married out of duty. But there wasn't a lot of love in it. You know, you'd hear them yell at each other, but there was no way they would get a divorce. And it almost felt like they didn't even like each other. He would go his direction, they, she would go hers. And it wasn't much of a relationship, but out of duty, they stayed married because divorce was a bad thing. Well, it's more accepted today. And so what do we have? We had the exact same, nearly the exact same uh, uh, <clears throat> statistic of Christians that get divorced as opposed to people that are unsaved. So, all right. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> so once trust is there, now faith has something to stand on. And I, you know, I was just thinking about this. I was thinking about how we, <clears throat> we don't take the time to know our Father. And so when, when we really need to be able to stand on something, we have difficulty getting our faith to work. Because this happened back here. And, you know, we base it on experience. And I just want to have an altar call. Not necessarily for you to come forward, but so that you could posture your heart. Could you back me down a little there, Tom? <clears throat> but so that we could be honest with ourselves and with our Father. That if we need to know Him more, to trust him more so that our faith can grow. So I've proved out personally that Romans 10, 17, now faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that just reading the word of God is not enough. Why well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting knowledge, which is amazing. And people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but I need to know my father. I need to have relationship with him so that my faith will work. Is this making sense? Thank you. <laughs> well, I wanna pray for you this morning because maybe you've been there. Maybe you've allowed human experience, you've allowed um, situations in your own life to determine what and how you're gonna believe. And I believe that God's wanting to change that in our life, that he is wanting us to be the kind of people that we believe his word. We take it at face value, that we know him and we know his character and we defend him when we hear something that's contrary. See, if you came up and tried to tell me something about my wife that was not true, I would defend her. And I don't care who you are. I would fix you. I would fix your statement, not you. You know, 
And, but do we do the same thing with God? Do we go to the word and try and find out what does the word say about this? Or am I just taking it for granted that I know what it says? Thank you, Father. Would you bow your heads all around the room? All around the room, if that's you, and you say, Phil, yeah. I've allowed the enemy to tempt me. I've allowed the enemy to kick the legs out from under my faith because I've had human experiences that have hurt that have hurt my heart, that have caused me to begin to doubt in God, it caused me to begin to not believe. That's you, we're gonna get it right this morning. Maybe this is you, your identity is not where it's supposed to be. And you've allowed the enemy to rob you of the identity that God gave you. And he's just sitting back there laughing. And you're saying, I'm done with that. I received the identity that God has given me. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. If you're here and you've been away from God and you say, I wanna come back to Him. You've been running like a prodigal son and what you maybe haven't realized is that God is not gonna condemn you. He's, He's the Father that's looking over the horizon waiting for you to come back. And he's the one that's got his arms extended saying, yeah, come on, come on home, come home. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. If any of those things applied to you and that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand all around the room. You say, yeah, I feel that's me, yeah. Anybody else? You say, yeah, that's me, that's me. I've allowed the enemy to deceive, yes. Anybody else, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Come on, put your hands on on your heart and let's pray. I want you to pray this after me. Pray it out loud. If you would, let's all, let's all say this together and let's agree with those that are getting things right, right now. Would you pray after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, for your forgiveness. I love you, God. I want to apologize for allowing the enemy to tempt me, to deceive. I believe the best in you. I believe your word, that all your promises are yes and amen. And I will no longer allow my human experience to dictate my faith to me. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. And Lord, I ask you, to be Lord of all in my life. 
I give this whole thing to you. I've been messing it up. And I'm asking you to restore it. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Now, would you just begin to thank them all around the room, wherever you are? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.